pray with me? Lord, I just, um, Lord, I just am so thankful for who you are, that your character is unfailing. Um, Lord, that you are, you said you are then, now, and forever. Lord, we get to rest in that, that you are our light in the darkness. You show us the way, Lord. Thank you for loving us in that way. Thank you for the steadfastness of your love, that we can always go there. We can always see it. We can always feel it, Lord. So thankful for your character. So thankful for who you are. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can have a seat. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa. I serve here as the executive pastor, and I'm so thankful for you guys coming this morning and joining us. And those of you guys who are tuning in online, I'm just really thankful that you're spending Sunday morning with us. And if you are new here, so maybe you're new in person or new just joining us online, we would really love to connect with you. We know that it is hard walking through the doors of a new place. Um, And so we would just love to help you, serve you, and get to know you. So we have a really simple way for you to do that. You can text WELCOME to 817-755-1668. And if you're in the room, it's on the seat back in front of you. If you're joining us online, you can find that on the screen or in the comments. And we would just love to connect you with a staff member and help you figure out your next steps here at the table. You know, as... The, the year has gone on now that we're in month 15 of 2020. It, um, that was a joke. It's not funny. Okay, it's just not funny. Too soon. It's fine. It's fine. Um, you know, the, what has happened in our church has really been amazing to watch. So, so many new folks have been coming to the table. And it's wild when you think about people are still in the midst of a pandemic, still moving into the area, um, still switching home, you know, switching neighborhoods, getting new jobs. All these things are still happening. And the Lord is just sending us so many people. And it can be nerve wracking going to a new community, having to church shop, find a new church. But here at the table, we want to intentionally build bridges into people's lives by serving them. So we have monthly food pantries, um, that, so we're visible, meeting tangible needs in the community, but then also serving people here on Sunday mornings. And I tell you a story, I want to tell you a story because I think it's important for us to understand why we do what we do in here on Sunday mornings. Um, I didn't grow up in church. I did not attend a church until I was an adult. And when I finally walked through the doors of a church, I was completely broken, completely lost, on the verge of divorce. And I walked into church because my husband said, I'm not going to go see an attorney unless you go to church with me. So begrudgingly, I had gone to this church he went to the week before. And I walked into the church with a sign on my head that said, don't talk to me. I'm skeptical. I don't want to be here. And this woman opens the door, and her name was Dion. And Dion opened the door and said, hey, Matt, this must be Melissa. She had met my husband one time, and she invited us to sit with her. That woman, seeing me, knowing me, and helping me feel welcome, changed my life. Without Dion, I don't think I would have been able to hear the gospel that morning. I wouldn't be able to sit restored to my husband and reconciled to God because she cleared the way for me. And that's why we're so passionate about what we do here on Sunday mornings because it is not about us. 
Dion must have been very brave because she knew we were going through hard things and that I didn't want to be there. Yet she cared for me and knew me because I mattered. And why? Because I mattered to God. And she loved me that way. And so we are asking you guys to step into that with us. People need to know they matter. And they matter deeply to God. So they matter to us. And as people, thank you. Come on, Ronnie. And as people who attend this church and have heard the gospel and know the saving grace of Jesus, it's our job to clear the way for people walking in broken and hurting and seeking. So there are ways for us to build bridges in people's lives, but it's going to require us to be courageous and to say yes and give up something that we love to do on Sunday mornings, which is keep our time or on Wednesday nights. So the yes we're asking for is a yes to be courageous, to step into people's lives and love them, make them feel welcome and known and seen because that's what we're called to do. We love for you guys to check out this video we're going to show you here in a second and then courageously say yes to helping people feel known, welcome, and seen. No matter who you are or where you're from, we have a place for you. To the hurting and the hopeless, to those with questions and doubts, to those looking for a place to belong and grow, we have a place for you. Our mission at the table is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and we recognize that we are called to be courageous. We courageously talk about hard things as we are challenged to live for Christ in a complicated world. We courageously build bridges as we love and serve our neighbors well. We courageously challenge one another to follow Jesus and we share the hope that we have with those around us. We invite you to have a seat at the table. Come find hope and healing. Come find answers and purpose. Come find a place to belong. Come be courageous. Well, good morning. It is good to have everybody with us today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Um, you know, obviously something that happened this week, and we've gotten some questions this morning, so I kind of want to want to address it really quickly, is um, everyone knows that the governor made uh, an announcement this last week about Texas being 100% open, and so many of you are wondering, like, what does that mean for us, and what are we going to do, and all of those things. Um, and, and my message to you this morning is just kind of stay tuned. Um, we'll let you know this week. We have been um, in contact with other churches in our area, and that's one of the great things um, that has, has been true throughout this entire year is that we are working very closely with some other churches um, in the immediate area to just get feedback in terms of what they're doing and how they're doing things and all of that. Um, and so we've been having some conversations with other churches. We've been having internal conversations with our staff and elders in terms of exactly what we're going to do and things like that. And so we'll let you know this week. Um, we'll, we'll send something out um, and let you know specifically what's going to happen. Um, before we get into the message, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thanks for um, just the love that you've extended to us. Uh, thanks for 
Sending your one and only son, Jesus, who willingly left the glories of heaven to lay down his life for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought into a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would help us today to understand what the life that you've given to us is really all about. I pray, Father, that through the work of your Holy Spirit within us as our teacher and our guide, that you would help us to be courageous. Father, I just ask that you would be with me over the next few minutes, that I'll be able to communicate clearly, and that the words that I say would ultimately be coming from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to just jump right into the the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. And so if you do have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look this morning at Luke 5, 27 through 32. So Luke 5, 27 through 32, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can find your way to our live event and follow along there. But this is week two of our series called To Be Courageous. Last week, in the first week of the series, we looked at the first call of a disciple that's found in Luke's gospel or Luke's life story of Jesus. It was the call of Peter. And so Peter was once a fisherman, but Jesus gave him the new commissioning to become a fisher of men. And a lot of what we talked about last week was just the definition of a disciple, that a disciple is one who has faith in Jesus, whose life is being shaped by Jesus and is also pointing others back to Jesus too. And we kind of left with the challenge to go be courageous. And we're going to finish today's message again with a similar challenge. What we're going to look at today is the call of Matthew or Levi. So I'm going to read that section for us in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think what is happening in this short section of Scripture is incredibly profound in understanding the mission of Jesus, but then also understanding the mission that Jesus has given to us. But I also think at the same time, it's really easy for us to miss the significance of what's taking place in this passage. Part of it, maybe for some of us, is an issue of familiarity. Just because of the way that the this passage is presented to us, it's very simplistic. It's kind of like once you've heard it, you think you know everything about it. And after all, it just says, Jesus saw Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth, said, follow me. Matthew got up, left everything, and followed. So for some of us, the reason that we might miss the significance of what's taking place is just familiarity. For others, though, it may be an issue that the Actors, and I don't mean actors in terms of like they're acting, but those involved in the action of what we see are just really foreign to us. And so we miss the significance of what's taking place. Because it says that Matthew or Levi was a tax collector. And so when I read that, I think, oh, okay, like the IRS. I don't know that I have ever 
met anyone who works for the IRS. I don't know that I've ever known anybody who works for the IRS, but I can say I don't love paying taxes. On the bad days, I see them just as a necessary evil. On the good days, I recognize the benefits that paying those taxes, the the services that they provide me as well as for other people. But I can imagine what it would be like if one year I got audited. And so I imagine that if I were audited, I wouldn't really enjoy spending a lot of time with that person who's kind of looking over my shoulders, looking at all the deductions that I took and all of those kinds of things. And so what I do when I read this passage about Matthew is I assume, I think how I would view an IRS agent must be the way that Matthew was viewed in his time and culture. But that's not the case. It's far more significant than that. Far worse than that. Because Matthew wasn't just the IRS agent living down the street trying to do his job and do it well. Matthew was lumped into this group of people called sinners. As a tax collector, Matthew was viewed as a traitor. Because he was working for the Roman government, and and so he was kind of viewed as this one who was perpetuating this oppressive society and and culture that the people didn't want to be a part of. Matthew, Levi, called a sinner. And it's not just in the sense of like we're all sinners, but like in, in, in the days of the first century, those who were lumped in this category of sinners are those who would never nor could never be a part of the worshiping community. Because of who they were and what they had done, they were never allowed to worship in the temple. Sinners were people of ill repute, like thieves, drunkards prostitutes, the diseased, demon-possessed, and tax collectors. And so on that day, walking past the booth, Jesus saw Matthew sitting there, and he offered him that invitation to become a disciple. Now, typically what would happen, and we can view Matthew as being in more of like a toll booth Uh, That's probably the easiest way for us to look at it because when a traveler would travel from one region to another, there were often toll booths set up to collect taxes or tolls. And what would happen, this is part of the, the reason that tax collectors were hated too, is they often charged more than they needed to and they got rich in the process of doing that. And so very typically when someone would see that toll booth, off in the distance they would be reminded of their lack of freedom. And as they, a traveler would approach the booth, likely never looking at that tax collector in the eye, they would slam their coins down on the desk and just keep walking, muttering something terrible under their breath. It's amazing to me the simplicity of how the story is presented to us. Was there more that happened that day? Was there more to the interaction than the simple invitation to become a follower of Jesus? Maybe there was, but maybe there wasn't. But here's what we know. Jesus, as a rabbi, went up and looked at this tax collector in the eyes and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and left everything behind 
and follow Jesus. But that's not where the story ends. Because the very next thing that we see is that Matthew has thrown a party and invited Jesus because what Matthew wanted to do was make sure that all of his other friends, those others who could be classified as sinners, would come to know the one who changed his life too. But even that, maybe that's not the most significant thing that happens. Because once Jesus does that, he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. The other religious leaders of the day begin to question what Jesus is doing. How can he do that? Why is he doing that? Nobody's supposed to do that. And that's when Jesus gives the essence of his ministry. When he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have titled today's message, The church's apology. I've done so because I think that the church needs to apologize to you. Now, if you're tracking with me, some of you may be thinking, like, do you mean like our church or like churches in general, like the world of the church? And I think I would say both. I think that there are mistakes that churches make or like the world of the church, which I know is not necessarily a world that many of you are a part of, but it is one that I am a part of. And there are some collective mistakes that we have made that we need to own up to. And I also think at the same time, probably arrogantly, I would like to think, man, we're better than they are. But several weeks ago when I was studying through this passage, beginning to think about what I was going to share this morning, I was personally convicted. Because I don't think we always live up to what Jesus exemplifies for us in this passage. And so that's why we, I, need to apologize to you today. And I hope that I'm able to really communicate my heart very clearly this morning because I think it would be really easy for you to mishear some of the things that I want to say. Um, And so I just want to ask up front that you really pay attention, hear things in context, and don't just take sound bites out of of their context so that they may mean something other than what I hope that they do. But first, I want to apologize because... I think we've made it seem like there are some people who are unworthy disciples. If there was ever an unworthy disciple in the days of Jesus, it was Matthew and all of his other friends who could be lumped into that group known as sinners. And I think it's very clear the point of this passage is to say that Jesus welcomes everyone equally in as his followers. But yet I think that we haven't done a great job of living up to that. And so I'm going to give you several groups of people that I think we have maybe tended to marginalize and made to feel like you're an unworthy disciple. And I want you to know, if you are here and you have ever felt that, I'm sorry. Because Jesus does welcome us all in equally. I'll start with some groups that are maybe easy. I'll move to the ones that are a little bit more 
challenging for us and maybe slightly more controversial, if that's the right word. I know a group that we tend to make feel like unworthy disciples are those that don't know enough. I think so often, and I wish that we didn't do this, I I think that I probably do it more often than I even recognize. We communicate to people that spiritual maturity is based on what you know. I know it is not that. If you were to ask me, I would tell you it is not that. That spiritual maturity is found in how you represent the character of Christ in everything that you do. But yet, so often, the church presents the message that you have to know certain things. I cringe every time I think about this story. Several years ago, I was leading a small group Bible study. And I, we were talking about something. I honestly don't even remember what we were talking about, the passage of Scripture that we were talking about that day. But I asked a question about something that happened in Old Testament story. And after several seconds of awkward silence where nobody responded to it. Somebody who has a lot of Bible knowledge said, come on, everybody knows the answer. But not everybody did know the answer. Not everybody does know the answer. And I so desperately want our church to not be filled with people who know all the right answers or walking Bible encyclopedias, but people who desperately want to understand the love of Jesus that he offers to all of us and then the implications of that for our lives. Second group that I I think we can so easily marginalize are people that have had certain experiences as a part of their life story. And we can cause them to feel like unworthy disciples. And those experiences are anything that any of us would consider to be really bad. Like divorce, addiction, conviction. You keep writing the list of things in your own mind because we could go on and on and on. And this is one that's really hard because I think we do a really good job at saying we welcome everyone, but only so far. You can do this, but you can't do that. And this is challenging from a practical perspective because we do have to be really careful about making sure that we don't put people in wrong roles and things like that, but yet at the same time, I I think we have to be balanced in terms of recognizing the power of Jesus to transform lives and not be guided by fear of thinking, okay, well, what are people going to say if? Because the reality and what we see in the story of Matthew and then how his friends were invited in to come and meet Jesus, we recognize the reality that the call to be disciples is open to all of us regardless of what our life experiences has been like. Another group that I think we marginalize 
people of color. This comes from my experience. My roles in what are predominantly white evangelical churches. I think about the message that I received growing up in church. And it was this. They are so different than we are which is a horrible way to view people because it marginalizes them when you do that just in and of itself. But they are different than we are. They worship differently than we do, which honestly may be nothing more than just more passionately. So because they're so different than we are, it's okay that they go over there and do their thing. We'll welcome them here, but they have to be like us. And so either explicitly at times or maybe implicitly what we've communicated to people of color is, listen, if you just did things the way that I did it, you would be better off because I know what we're doing. And I think that's so terrible. Because I think the reality is we, those of you who are like me, we need to listen to the experiences of people of color, so that we understand and are able to apply better what Scripture teaches. Because their lives can speak to us in many significant ways. I think we can also tend to marginalize singles in church, especially single women. And I would say I... I think this is something that I do probably a lot, maybe even more so than I even am consciously aware of. How I often do it is I think when we're looking at a passage of Scripture or something like that to talk about the application of that passage, the first thing that I do is, okay, what does this look like in the family? Typically meaning mom, dad, two kids, and a dog. So maybe I also marginalize cat people, but you would never know that, (laughs) which I think is okay. Sorry for that, too. But I think that what we do in that, again, not I don't want to do that, but what we do, and certainly this is true in the world of the church, we tell single people, listen, go get married and then come back, and that's when we'll get serious about all this. What's interesting about that, though, And I think this is a a huge part of our church culture, the the world of the church in the culture, is that it stands in contrast with the Apostle Paul taught. Because in 1 Corinthians, he said, I think, I, I wish that all people would remain single like I am. And I know it's controversial, but the issue being that uh, he recognized that single people had more time to devote to the things of God. I think we present the exact opposite message. Hey, go get married, have some kids, then we can trust you, so then come back, and then we'll talk about really what discipleship looks like in your life. I also think we easily can cause women to feel like unworthy disciples too. And I just want to say, if you have ever heard 
anything other than the most important thing in your life is to be radically remade in the image of Jesus, we have communicated something wrong. So I'm sorry that we have caused some to feel like unworthy disciples. There's something else that is really convicting to me in this passage too. And so I want to just tell you, I'm sorry that we've communicated the message that has caused you to live in isolation from those who desperately need Jesus. Because it's amazing to me in this passage, not just what Jesus does with Matthew, but what he doesn't do with him as well. Because what he doesn't do is say, okay, Matthew, now that you're one of us, you need to just be around us all the time. You need to get rid of all those other people that used to be a part of your life, those bad examples on you, just be around us all the time so that you don't fall back into bad patterns and behaviors. That is not what Jesus did. But Matthew throws a party for all the other sinners so that they can have their lives changed as they come to understand Jesus too. But it's really easy for us in the church to communicate the message that you have to live in isolation from those who desperately need Jesus. And we're not supposed to do that. But we do it through really subtle ways sometimes. At times, we do it because we ask for too much time. And again, I want to be really careful with this because some of you I know are really protective of your time. And I think on a different day, I would challenge you to be more generous and selfless with your time. But yet at the same time, I know that we as a church can ask for too much time. Growing up, it was the big three, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then we had Thursday visitation where people would go out and visit others in their homes. And then somewhere along the, the, the way, somebody decided we need men's ministry and women's ministry. And all of a sudden, the world of the church, you could see and, and, and attend a Bible study every night of the week, loving every minute of it, but living in complete isolation from those who desperately need Jesus. So sometimes we ask for too much time. I think we can also cause you to feel that way, that you need to live in isolation from those who need Jesus when we focus on the things that we do. It's really easy for us to communicate the message like, we need you to do this. And I feel bad because we're asking you to do some things here today. But we need you to do this. We need you to be a part of this ministry. And so what I'm talking about are the organized ministries of the church. Like, we need you to come here and be a part of this ministry and be a part of this thing. And there's nothing wrong with the things that we're doing. It's not bad. But here's what can happen is that you get the idea that you have to wait for us to tell you what to do so that you can come here and be a part of what we are doing. But the call of the disciple is to go. It's not so much to come. And so I want you to know the things that you may do when you go are every bit as important as the things that you do when you come. We overemphasize the things that we do. We can also really easy, easily focus too much on biblical community. 
And again, this is one, you've got to be careful, because do we need other believers to be around us, to encourage us, to hold us accountable, uh, to support us as we live as followers of Christ? Yes, we need all of that. But yet at the same time, if all we ever do is talk about biblical community, it's easy for somebody to get the idea, well, I just, I need a whole new group of friends, because those people aren't good for me anymore. This would be Matthew disassociating himself from all of his friends, which he did not do. And so there has to be a balance. Do we need believers around us to help us, to encourage us, to support us? Yes. But at the same time, I think we also need to follow the example of Jesus, who was known as a friend to sinners. I also think that we can cause people to live in isolation from those who desperately need to know Jesus when we use fear as a motivator for behavior. And that will always lead to isolation. And I will tell you, I hope that this is something that I have never done. But you hear it all the time. The world is a scary place. Look at what is happening out there. How are we going to protect ourselves from what's happening out there? Think about your kids. How do you protect them from all the things that are happening out there? And all of a sudden we have this motive, we're motivated by fear, which causes us to isolate ourselves. Happens in the world of the church all the time. Even though I, I have done a little bit of study in this, thought about it a lot, I don't believe, outside of the fear of God, that fear is ever used as a positive motivator in Scripture. But instead of saying, hey, be af you're af afraid, so do this, what we read is, be courageous. We don't have anything to fear. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We see the words of Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which is this picture not as the church of this impenetrable fortress when we need to gather inside to protect one another, but it's the image of the church, the people of God, as the army of God, knowing that nothing will stand in the way. So we recognize we're called to go out into the world, to not live in isolation from it. And so I'm sorry that we have caused some of you to feel like unworthy disciples. I am sorry that we have caused some of you to feel like you have to live in isolation from those who desperately need Jesus. But as you know, in your interpersonal relationship, saying I'm sorry is one thing. When somebody tells us they're sorry, we want to know what they're going to do so that they don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. I'm going to give you a couple of things really quickly and we'll be done. First, I know that we have to think very critically about how we communicate the exclusivity of the gospel that is inclusive for all people. It was kind of a lot. So we have to be really careful about thinking about how we communicate the exclusivity of the gospel. In other words, there's only one way to have a relationship with God that lasts forever, and that's through faith in Jesus. But yet that message is, includes all people. 
And we've got to think very critically about how we make sure that we include all people in that, all people equally in that, and then recognize the implications of what that means in everything that we do. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think we need to do a better job of is being reminded of our sentness. That the call of a disciple is first and foremost to go. It's to go into the world and make disciples. And so again, recognizing that when we go, that's every bit, if not more important than what we do when we gather together and when we come here. So we've got to be reminded regularly of our sentness. And so that's why, as followers of Christ, for those of us who have taken that step across the line of faith and said yes to Jesus, that's why we must be courageous. We have to be courageous as followers of Jesus, recognizing that we might, but the world will at some point tell you you are unworthy as a follower of Jesus, and you've got to reject that message and passionately pursue him and let Jesus do a radical reorientation of everything about your life. And we've got to be courageous. Instead of building walls and pushing people away, we must go out into the world loving people, befriending people just like Jesus did so that they come to understand the one who radically changed our lives too. That's why as followers of Jesus, we must be courageous. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I recognize that I have made mistakes. That we, as your church, have made mistakes and moved away from the ministry, the philosophy of ministry that Jesus has given to us. And so, Father, I repent of that today. And I pray that all of us would embrace the heart that Jesus exemplified for us in this event when he called Matthew the tax collector, the one who was hated and marginalized in his society, called him in as a follower, not just a part of the crowd, but as a part of the 12. Help us to pursue you rejecting any lie that would cause us to believe that we are unworthy as your disciples. And may we be known as a friend of sinners. As we point people back to you, the one who's changed our lives. And it is in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen.